0: You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi, everyone, welcome to episode 62 of The Music Room. This episode is called What We Can Learn From This Year. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to my friend Nissa Brown, who also has a music education podcast called Music Ed Forward. She has a whole podcast series called What 2020 Taught Me that I can link to in the show notes, which is very much along the lines of what I'm going to talk about today, but you'll be able to hear her perspective, and she is just brilliant. So I definitely encourage you to listen to her podcast. All right, so we are going to dive in today with what we can learn from this year. So I'm kind of talking 2020 to 2021, this school year. As I record this, it is March, mid-March, so the school year hasn't finished yet, but I feel like all of us have learned so much, not just from this school year, but also from the spring of 2020 with distance learning and virtual learning and in-person learning and concurrent learning and all of the things that we have had to tackle this year. I think so many of us want to just go back to normal. Can't we just go back to what we had before? And, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of don't realize how fortunate you are in many ways until, you know, you have very big challenges and can't teach the way that you have always taught. But I'd like to challenge you in today's episode to really think about what we've learned from this year and how we can move forward with what we've learned instead of just looking at you know the next school year we don't know what exactly what that will look like yet and if there'll be some restrictions still in place but instead of just looking at i just want to go back to normal yes of course we want a sense of normalcy for sure we want to be able to sing with our students we want to be able to get closer than 6 feet to our students but what can we learn from everything that we have had to accomplish this year All right, so I am going to talk about five ways that I think we can learn from this school year. Number one, tech tools. Y'all know I'm a tech geek. I absolutely love technology. And in the spring of 2020, when we were shoved into distance learning, I had some time to dive into some tech tools that I'd heard about, but I just was too busy to explore. So in the spring of 2020, I discovered Nearpod, Pear Deck, and Flipgrid, And then this year I have also tackled Seesaw. So these are all really wonderful tools, and I have tutorials and blog posts that I can link to in the show notes about each of these tools. So Nearpod is a great tool for kind of compiling a lesson all into one. So you can have a website that students visit, and you can have interactive questions, and you can have videos that students watch, and this can all be like in one lesson. And uh, Pear Deck is great for exit tickets. It's a Google Slides add-on, so you can have students respond to a lesson and you can actually build an entire lesson in Pear Deck as well, but it's really great for really gauging student understanding. Flipgrid, probably a lot of you have used, and that's a tool where students can video themselves, and maybe they're just sharing something about themselves, or they might be playing recorder, or they might be playing trumpet, or they might be singing for you. And Seesaw, I like I said, I have really explored a lot this year, and that is a tool that's Great for having students record themselves, draw on the screen. They can record video or audio. They can drag and drop. There are a lot of features, and again, it's like all in one kind of platform. So I've been really excited to learn all these tools, but I've also been thinking about, okay, what does next year look like with these tools? So just a little bit of background. I am teaching 100% virtually right now to students who are in kindergarten, first and second grade, and who have committed to distance learning for this whole year. And so I have like half of my lessons are synchronous lessons. We do lessons over Microsoft Teams, and then half of my lessons are asynchronous lessons where students are completing work for me. So the four tools that I just talked about, Nearpod, Pear Deck, Seesaw, and Flipgrid, pretty much those I've just used in uh, my asynchronous lessons. And I've seen such amazing work from them. I think in the typical music classroom, I'm not necessarily seeing the kind of work that I saw this year. So that was really cool to see the, the kind of work I was getting. And there's, something that i love about each of these tools so i've just been thinking okay what can we learn or what can i learn from these tools and how can i keep using them in the future So I'm still wrapping my mind around it, but I think that they would work really well in centers where like if you just have a few devices in your class, maybe you have a center where students have to complete a Pear Deck or a Nearpod or a Seesaw or a Flipgrid, any of those things, and then they rotate on to the next center when they are done. I think they could also work really well with subplans. Nearpod and Pear Deck both have the ability to do like I think they call it live instruction or something like that where like if students are one to one if they all have a Chromebook or iPad or whatever that you could project the lesson and they can kind of like interact with it real time so like when you go on to the next slide The lesson on their computer also goes on to the next slide. Uh, So I think sub plans, it it could work really well for that. Obviously you'd wanna have a sub who would be somewhat comfortable with technology, but then you could just like create a lesson and just say, okay, please do this to the sub. And they could actually still do like a music lesson instead of feeling like the kids who had a sub while you were gone or while you were sick or whatever, get behind, you could still kind of keep them on track if that makes sense. I think also having students work in small groups or work individually, or maybe even like, let's say you only have three devices that you can use at any given time, then maybe you're teaching like a whole group kind of lesson, but like three kids are pulled out to work on a Nearpod or Seesaw or whatever. And then when those three students are done, then the next three students come in or whatever. I think that we can be creative and still be able to use this technology to engage students and to still teach them and keep them on track even in your absence. So number one, tech tools. I have so enjoyed learning about all those tech tools. The second thing that I think we can learn from this year is that relationships matter. I think that for a long time, I felt a little bit guilty for taking time to just have conversations with students. And I think part of that is simply, I just don't see them very much. You know, when you see your students, for me, it's typically once every five days for 50 minutes and kindergarten is kind of on its own schedule, but it's not a lot of time. And probably some of you see your students even less than that. So when you're not seeing your students very much and you need to get through what you need to get through, it can be hard to tell yourself to just take some time to get to know your students. And I think, you know, in the past when I've had students like want to tell me something about their lives, like, of course, I'm excited to hear it. I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. You know, "Oh, oh, it's your birthday or oh, it's your mom's birthday or you got a new dog. That's awesome. You know, and I have taken time, like, especially when I am lined up with them at the end of class before their teacher comes to get them. You know, I've had those conversations with students, but I haven't been really intentional about having the conversations because I've been so worried about curriculum. But I think you know, something that we can definitely learn from this year is that relationships do matter, and those conversations do matter, and we do need to, you know, slot some time to have those conversations. Like I said, I've been teaching lessons over Microsoft Teams, and as students are kind of like coming into the lesson, I've just been asking students like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Or what did you do last weekend? Or how many of you, what did you do on your snow day? Or, or whatever that might be. And I also, you know, it's, for those of you who are teaching virtually, you've probably seen something like this, like kids can show you their dog or their cat or the Lego that you know, Lego project that they just worked on or whatever, in a way that you you know, you're not going to be able to see that if you're in person. So I typically haven't seen what my kids dogs look, you know, my students dogs look like or whatever. So that's been really great that a kid can just be like, Oh, I, I have a connection and they go get whatever it is that they want to talk about. They go get it in their room and they bring it back and show it on the screen. And that's been really cool. So I've just been kind of simmering on how I can keep doing this. I think giving time at the start and end of each lesson to get to know the students, whatever that might look like, having intentional conversations or maybe having some icebreakers, you know, would you rather questions or things like that, I think could really help. Also when doing centers, I think Being able to float around the room and just like go up to a student and say, hey, how are you doing today? You know, that kind of thing. Like I've just been kind of, like I said, simmering on how to make sure that that keeps happening because it's been really nice to get to know the students better. We've also done these virtual lunches where we just all eat lunch together virtually over Teams. And just have those conversations about seeing what their preferences are and, like I said, what they're going to do this weekend or when it was Halloween, what are you going to be for Halloween or, you know, those, those kinds of things. So I also think right before the pandemic hit, it was like, I want to say it was late February of 2020, I was able to participate in a responsive classroom training with um, a couple of other colleagues and people on the special areas team. And that was a really cool training. And I would really like to revisit some of those. Um, They have like these exercises that you can do or activities or icebreakers, that kind of thing to get to know students and to kind of build that classroom community. And I think those could also work well for building those relationships. All right. Number three, what we've learned or what we can learn from this year is that simply we need to adapt our practices. Like I said, the work that I've been able to see from students has been really awesome, and I have really enjoyed the balance between synchronous and asynchronous work. So this has really started me thinking about, you know, when I'm back in person next year, what will that look like? And it's also making me reflect on how I have adapted this year. Not just, obviously, I've had to attempt because of the virtual piece, but also, and I've had some conversations with other Kodai-trained teachers that we were trained in our Kodai training to spend a certain amount of time preparing a certain concept, let's say, like preparing Ray or preparing ticket ticket or whatever. And just because like almost all of my students this year were actually new to me because I was teaching students from all over the district. So I did have some students that were my students last year, but not very many. And just because of the setup that we had, I found myself presenting without a whole lot of preparation. And as I've talked to other people, I've I've heard similar stories from them as well, because the situation kind of warranted it. So I think I'm going to be like really kind of like synthesizing that and and thinking about that in the future, even when things like I said, quote unquote, go back to normal, like, will my preparation be a little bit shorter and then my practice be a little bit longer? And then as far as how I'm teaching the lesson, it's so interesting because before like before the pandemic, I was starting to think you know, I think the perfect balance for me, like I said, if I have, have 50 minutes uh, with grades one, three, five. And I was beginning to think, that the perfect balance was about half the lesson be like a whole group. You know, we're singing songs, we're playing games, all that good stuff. You know, doing some kind of literacy activity, doing part work, all that for 25 minutes. And then the other 25 minutes could be like small group work where they're composing something together or creating something together. It could be centers. It could be independent work, especially if students are able to be one-to-one where they each have their own device. I had been working a lot with hyperdocs and really enjoyed like giving a student a hyperdoc and being like, okay, do whatever you want, you know? And they loved that. They loved that freedom to choose whatever they wanted. And so I had already started thinking like, I think this is the direction I need to go. I think this is what I need to do, which is different than the way that I was trained. Now I was trained, my Kodai training was quite a while ago. I started in the year 2000, I think with level one. So... It, you know, times have changed so much. But when I did my Kodai training, it was more teacher-centered. So I had already kind of started evolving more towards student-centered, you know, student-centered learning, student choice, you know, splitting between whole group and small group work. And after this year, I think, yes, for sure, that's what I need to do. And it's so interesting because Katie Minichi, who's sometimes on the podcast, she had come to that conclusion and she had started to do that with her in-person students. And then Ashley, who's my colleague, she and I had a conversation where she said the same thing, you know, next year, I think I'm going to do this. And I was like, oh my gosh, how funny that we're all kind of like arising at the same conclusion that this is what the students need so again I'm still synthesizing exactly what that looks like but you know I think with like that second half of the lesson like I said it could be centers where and it might not be like you have to go to this center and then after five minutes you have to go to the next center they could choose their centers I found a lot of success with that students really love being able to choose so it could be that I might spread my centers out over more than just one day I might have two lessons with centers which with the same centers or maybe kind of switch them up a little bit but it might be the same concept. It could be small group work. It could be hyperdocs or like learning maps, which are similar to hyperdocs, but my understanding with learning maps is, you know, they might have like a choice of three different things that they can choose from in one column and then they do one of those things and then they go on to the next column and they choose one thing out of there. So, kind of like a choice board, it's almost like a cross between a choice board and a hyperdoc. But any of those things, choice boards, hyperdocs, learning maps, whatever, like, I think they're all awesome for agency and choice. And I also recently listened to a podcast by Jennifer Gonzalez from Cult of Pedagogy. I absolutely love her. and I love her podcast. And I can link to this specific podcast in the show notes. I think she has a blog post and a podcast episode, but anyway, it's about the self-paced classroom. So I listened to the podcast episode and they actually have a free course that I think I might do this summer. That's about how to like set up this self-paced classroom. And this is not something that I would do for the whole lesson. Like I said, it could be like the second half of the lesson where they have more ownership of their learning. So yeah, I'm just kind of, like I said, wrapping my mind around all of that. All right, so that's number three, needing to adapt our practices. Number four, I just think that digital conversion and organization has been so helpful. I like to project my agendas for each lesson, and I have been using PowerPoint and like linking to files, you know, my share drive at school, like I have a drive that I save everything to at school. But over the last year, year and a half, I have started to ponder, this is actually before the pandemic, I was starting to think, you know, I should probably upload all of this to Google Drive and link to it there because there was some talk about maybe we may or may not have the shared drive. I didn't really know the direction they were going, but I thought, okay, maybe I need to upload everything to Google Drive and maybe these agenda slides should be in Google slides. And then I'll, you know, this year happen, and I started to do that. I started to create agenda slides in Google Slides. And, you know, when I say linking, I, I might have a list of things we're going to do in the lesson. And then I'm if I need to open up a file, I might link to it in the agenda so that when you click on it, boom, it opens up. Or you could even put it after the agenda, like the next slide after the agenda is whatever material you're going to open up. I've just realized that having that everything in Google Slides is really helpful. And I've heard a lot of other music teachers talk about that, like having everything in one place, you know what you're teaching in that lesson. And actually, Katie and I had a conversation where she said she's been doing something like this, but she's been putting it in Schoology for students. So like if they miss a lesson or whatever, they can still see what they did that day. They can see the agenda slide and the materials and that kind of thing. So I think all of that is really helpful. I actually just updated all of my first grade music lessons. So if you purchase those previously, you get access to all of these updates. So I updated all of the first grade music lessons, A, so that they're in a different lesson plan template. It's more modern and prettier. Two, the lessons I really tried to adapt them so they were more student-centered. And three, I added an agenda slide to every single lesson. So you could just like open it up and there's your agenda. You don't even have to type anything unless you're changing something in the lesson. And then four, I put everything in Google Drive. So like instead of having a PDF that you have to open, it's in Google Slides and the visual is right there. I'm really excited about having it in that format and excited for any of you who've purchased that in the past. I can link to the sets in the show notes as well if you wanna check that out if you have already purchased or if you haven't purchased and just wanna look at it. Um, And I'm actually working on kindergarten right now and plan to do all of the other grade levels as well, so that they're all in Google Drive, everything is easy, you know, digital, it's, You know, most everything is just Google Slides and sometimes Google Docs, but that way it's just easier to use and I think a little bit easier to organize as well. So that's still a process, but I'm just excited about getting more organized there instead of having everything all over the place, having everything in Google Drive. All right. And then the fifth thing that I think we really can learn from this year is that social justice is so important and that we are on a journey. I have learned a lot this year about making sure that I am honoring and reaching all students in my classroom, but this is not something where like I've arrived and I'm done. I have so much work still to do. So I've really been trying to follow teachers who are speaking about this a lot. And sometimes these posts that I'm, and I'm gonna mention some accounts here in a minute, sometimes these posts do make me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm gonna be honest. But I think that's good. I think it's good for us to be uncomfortable because it makes us question everything we're doing. So it would be easy for me to say, of course I think social justice is important and this is what I've done and this is what I've done and this is what I've done in order to support that. But that doesn't mean that my journey is over. I am still on that journey and I can still keep pushing myself to make sure that I am doing everything in a very intentional and thoughtful way And that all students, no matter their ethnicity, their culture, their gender identity, that all students feel like my room is a safe space. But that takes work and we have to be willing to do the work. And it would be easy to just say like, okay, 2020 is over. We're going to go back to normal. And actually, the Darling music teacher, Darlene, I was going to mention her account because she's great to follow. I can link to her in the show notes, like I said. But she just recently posted on Instagram and it was about not wanting to go back to normal. So I won't read the whole caption. I would love for you to see. It's a really beautiful picture she has here. But she talks about one thing that she says is normalcy is labeling anti-racist work as a 2020 thing. And I think we really need to be careful of that, that we don't look back on this year and just say, okay, we were anti-racist in 2020 and now we're fine. Now everything's good. No. So that's why, like I said, following educators who are really challenging us on these topics is so important. So Darlene from the Darling Music Teacher, Decolonizing the Music Room. They have an Instagram account and they also have an amazing website and a Facebook group. Music with Mrs. Dunk, Carissa Duncanson. So her Instagram is just all music with Mrs. Dunk, all one word. And she talks a lot about anti-racist work and social justice as well. And then Jasmine Fripp, has a really wonderful Facebook group. And again, I'll link to this in the show notes, which by the way, to get to the show notes, you can go to com slash podcast and find this podcast episode, episode 62, and then you'll see the show notes. But her Facebook group is called Solidarity Superheroes Music Educators Fighting for Diversity and Unity. And everything that I've seen so far in this group has just come from such a place of love and care, but also challenging ourselves to make sure that this is just not you know, we're not doing this anti-racist work for a short amount of time and then we think that we've arrived. So I definitely recommend her Facebook group. And I would love to hear if there are any other accounts that you think that all of us should follow. Feel free to comment on the show notes and share that. Or you could also reach out to me through social media or through email at MrsMiraclesMusicRoom@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And I, I welcome any other suggestions. It's definitely not an exhaustive list, but that is where I would start. So how can we move forward with what we have learned from this year? I know for myself, as I'm writing lessons, starting for next year, I'm gonna be keeping in mind time for conversations and for student choice. I'm also going to keep in mind tech tools and lessons that have worked really well this year and thinking about how I can implement in a quote unquote typical or somewhat typical setting. And then sub plans, I'm going to think about, okay, how can I leverage these awesome tech tools that I've learned about and use them for sub plans so that students don't, you know, fall behind because they're already behind, which you don't need to feel guilty about. I'm not at all saying that you should because they're all behind, right? But by using the technology to our advantage, I think we can, you know, help them catch up a little bit to where they quote unquote need to be. But again, no guilt there. I'm going to be thinking as I write lesson plans about that balance of synchronous and asynchronous work and how to infuse more student choice and autonomy into my lessons. As far as digital conversion goes, I'm going to continue to convert files so that they are easy to access. And then I'm going to put all my agenda slides together in one big Google Slides so that's easy to get to. And I am going to continue to follow and read the work of educators doing social justice work. And like I said, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. You should actually make yourself feel uncomfortable because it, it helps you question if what you're doing is for the best of all of your students. So that's just where I'm at right now as far as synthesizing what this is crazy year can teach us I don't want to just go back to normal even though there there are of course aspects of going back to normal like oh my goodness it will be so amazing to hear students singing together with no masks on I'm very much looking forward to that I'm probably going to be a weepy mess the first time I have a choir rehearsal and can hear all my students singing together and of course I want to be able to like touch people and hug them, you know? I mean, I will be very excited when that happens, but I also don't want to forget what we have learned. So I hope those thoughts are helpful to you and and I would love to hear what you've learned from this year. All right, I'm going to talk about what I'm consuming. <music> So my husband and I are watching, uh, there's a new-ish sitcom out called Mr. Mayor with Ted Danson. And as a music educator, I think you would really enjoy it because so far there have already been shout outs to, I believe, the Elta recorder and the bassoon. <laughs> and, you know, the music geek in me is like, oh my gosh, I'm eating it up. I love it. And it's not just the music jokes. it's just a really, like, funny show super lighthearted, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. So that's Mr. Mayer with Ted Danson. I'm loving it. All right, so thank you so much for listening today. Make sure if you haven't yet to subscribe to my show, The Music Room in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. And I would love to hear what you think, so feel free to leave a review. You know, go ahead, subscribe, and leave a review while you are there. In my next podcast episode, I am going to be talking about music curriculum and how to make choices when purchasing music curriculum or when purchasing, you know, resources, print resources, digital resources, anything like that. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Happy teaching.